the power. Encouragement, Lord, and and meet the needs that are there, Lord. And Lord, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Maybe seated. Let's sing number two hundred and five. Two hundred five. Once for all. Cause by the law and rose by 
13, please. One more. 213. The light of the world is Jesus. Shining for this, sweetly the light has dawned. 
songs. The last two songs were about something that happened to you, and then now it's different. I once was blind, now I can see. And now that you're a saved man and woman, you need to, to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we're fellowship one with another. Take about to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. No bulletin today. Somehow it got slipped under the radar. And so we'll get that on next Sunday. Uh, 16th is the Christmas County at the Plaza. And so you need to tell Francis by next Sunday, the last time to get committed to go. And then after that, we're going to go down to the fishermen's. Uh, uh, and give them some gospel tracks and some candy canes and so on, Christmas tracks down there after that event. So uh, two things to happen on the 16th. It's a busy afternoon, so rest up on that one. Exodus chapter 20. I've been going through the book of Exodus at Sunday school, and then we come to the Ten Commandments. The, the first three are Godward, and now we have these that are toward man, man to man, responsibility to man. Uh, God is to be worshipped alone, no idols, don't use his name in vain. The Sabbath is to rest. That was specifically given to Israel. Of course, we don't observe the Sabbath nowadays. It's not what we do. And the New Testament church never did uh, meet on the Sabbath, except to evangelize. But then they met on the first of the week because of the resurrection of Christ. And so Seventh-day Adventist, uh, as you are aware, they mandate meeting on a Saturday. Your salvation depends upon it, and for some, it's the mark of the beast if you worship on a Sunday. Well, of course, that's not true. And so the commandments from number seven to number 10, uh, are five, six, and seven, I should say, are man word. Honor your parents, thou shalt not kill, and then thou shalt not commit adultery. That's today, 20 verse number seven. Exodus 20 verse number seven. Verse number 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. You would think these things are not to be even mentioned because it's so obviously wrong. Apparently, the Hebrews had a problem with this, the world in their time had a problem with this, and the world in our time has a problem with adultery. That A word, the adultery that people can do, happens all the time. It happens among all kinds of people, among unsaved people, among Christian people. Adultery can take place. And so, uh, let me look at some things about adultery here and pass on to you to help us to understand what God says about adultery. Uh, the commission of adultery. The commission of adultery is condemned. Adultery is condemned. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And come to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. The commission of adultery is condemned. Leviticus chapter 20, in verse number 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now that's a strong statement about don't do this, because if you do, there's a consequence to adultery. The commission of adultery, the physical act of adultery, is condemned. Now you remember in John chapter 8, verse number 4, there was a woman who was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, the, the Bible emphasizes in the very act. What act? What act? Not act in the mind, but act physically. They were caught in the very act. Now, the whole scene is about someone who was set up 
And as you read that chapter, you find out that these men probably were a part of that group that she was having adultery with. And so they all scattered. But nonetheless, adultery, adultery is condemned in the New Testament. And uh, the form of punishment for adultery was stoning. And these men wanted Jesus to condemn her and stone her to death. And so the form of punishment was by stoning and uh, punishment for both the man and the woman. It wasn't just one side, it was both sides. Both parties were guilty of adultery. It's consensual by both parties, and both parties were to be, the guy and the girl, to be condemned by stoning to death. A very harsh penalty for adultery. That's how serious it was in the Old Testament. Now, under grace, you don't stone people under grace. And if that happened today, there's a lot of corpses around. A lot of dead people around if it was the same punishment for the New Testament as in the Old Testament. Under grace is a bit different as far as it being condemned. It is still condemned. It is still wrong. There's no justification for it. But look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now here's a little difference about what Jesus said about adultery. In the Old Testament, the condemnation was for the physical act of adultery, the commission of adultery. Jesus here makes it a little bit steeper, doesn't he? He exemplifies that adultery began somewhere, it began in the heart. And if you commit, if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery already with her. But there is a difference between adultery, the act, and the thought of it. You can think about killing someone, but if you don't kill someone, you didn't kill them. You can think about adultery, and Jesus says that's like adultery. But you didn't commit the physical act of adultery. So there's a difference there. Thinking about it is where it starts. And Jesus says, no, don't commit adultery in your heart. But the physical act of adultery is also di it's different from the, it's the commission of it. So both are wrong. That's what you want to understand. And so Romans 13, uh, chapter 13, verse number 8. Look at this verse. Romans 13, verse number 8. There's a party going on next door. You know, there's a tree in Kailua. There's a tree in Kailua. You know, I don't know if we want to say anything to that. No, I don't think so, because um, they're paying rent, too. And there's no solid wall. And if you're irritated by that, I'm sorry. I hear it, too, but I have to try to focus on what I'm trying to say. And uh, let's call this open-air preaching. <laughs> There's a tree in Kailua, all the birds flock to this one tree. It, they make a big ruckus. You can hear it for two blocks. But, uh, all right, where am I? Romans. Romans chapter 13, verse number 8. 13a. Owe to no man anything, but love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not 
commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. What is this about? Well, in the New Testament, you don't commit adultery, the act of it, you don't think about it. If you love your neighbor, you don't think about it, and you don't commit adultery against your neighbor. The love is the fulfilling of the law. And so there's a big difference between the Old Testament and New Testament as far as the punishment for the law and the commission of adultery. Both are wrong in the mind and in the, in the act of it, but uh, there is a difference. Just understand that. All right? So under grace, no stoning, no capital punishment, uh, no offense, uh, no punishment for that. But uh, no, don't do any ill toward your neighbor. No adultery, in other words. No adultery, in other words. And so it's still steep. It's still wrong. It's still sinful. So the cause for adultery. The cause for adultery. What are the causes for adultery? Well, in Matthew 27, 527, he says, If you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Well, well, well. That's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. The cause for adultery is, it has to start somewhere. It starts in the heart of a man or in a woman. It starts there in the heart. Woman look, a man looking at a woman to lust after her. Uh, David, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David, he saw something and he thought something. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David should have been out to war with the other kings. He stayed home at his leisure and he, one night, saw Bathsheba and because he saw her and she was not clothed he lusted after her and then he got her because he had privileges he was a king and he committed the physical act of adultery because in his heart by what he saw he committed it in here already he wanted to do it he was enticed by it he lusted after her and he actually committed the act of adultery afterwards so adultery begins in the heart it's caused from what you think about. It's caused from a person thinking about something. Now, uh, committed adultery with her. Now, she was not she, not not Bathsheba. Now, adultery is between two people, two adults that are married, and uh, a woman sometimes not so innocent. The committing of adultery with her tells me that there was something that provoked the man to want to commit adultery with her. Now, I'm not, I'm not blaming the woman, but the woman has a part in this too. Do you know that in the book of Proverbs, a woman can be the cause of a man's sinful, whether it be fornication or adultery, a woman can be a cause of it? It's not always the guy that's the predator. Sometimes the woman is the predator. We don't like to think about it like that because usually the guy is the one always at fault. It's automatic. It's the default that the man is at fault. But the woman sometimes can be the aggressor. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Come over there with me. Proverbs chapter 8. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All right, don't do it. Well, here are some causes for it, for adultery. Not a very pleasant subject, but the commandments, big part of them are negative. Proverbs chapter 8. 
This is a really famous chapter, and it's a very insightful chapter. It's about a man looking down from his casement, I'll say from the second floor, looking down upon a street corner. He says, young guy showed up in the wrong time. He meets the wrong woman at the wrong time. And that story here is really indicative about adultery. Proverbs chapter eight. The cause for adultery, uh, the woman, the woman can be seven. Chapter seven. The woman can be a cause. So look at chapter seven. Come down to verse number six. I just referred to that. A man is there observing. We're privy to see what he sees. Verse number seven, as a young man, he's without any understanding. Verse eight, he passes through uh, near her home. Verse number nine, wrong time. A lot of times, sinful behavior takes place at the wrong time. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Verse number 10, here's where I see that adultery can be caused by the woman. Verse number 10, behold, there met him a woman with the attire, with the attire of a harlot. She's dressed like a harlot. Now, This, this old, old way for women to, quote, make a living, she has to dress in a certain way to get its attention. Now, today, in modern times, women dress in a certain way, truthfully, to get attention. Today, women dress in a way to get people's attention, not just people's attention, but guys' attention. So she is part of the problem here with adultery. She dresses with the attire of a harlot, and she is subtle of heart. This woman here is a cause. And so there was a, I remember this as if it happened last week. When I was active into Halava in Wayava, I go to Halava in the morning on Mondays, and uh, other chaplain assistants are there, chaplains are there, volunteers are there. And uh, when we couldn't meet in the chapel, we'd have to meet in the learning center. Learning Center is the largest space, uh, has a library in there, and you have rows of rooms with glass in between. So a room, a wall, but glass, a room, a wall, a room with glass, a room, and then over here. And um, one of the rooms are dedicated to uh, sex education rehab for these inmates, helping them to overcome addictions. If I was in room number one, it has the glass, has chairs, has a blackboard, uh, a woman, a woman came by. She was a, um, she was not a volunteer with the chaplain program. She was a volunteer in the, in this program, sex education program. Check this out. She walks in with another woman. She's a young woman. She walks in. She dresses in such a way. I'm, I'm on the board over here, and then all these guys. I turn around. All these guys are staring out the window. I said, what are you guys looking at? I step out the door, I look over here. I see this woman walking by to her classroom. I watch her go in. She's a woman who's educating the men about how to prevent sexual desires. And she's just with the entire of a harlot. Now, I don't know how she got through screening because there's rules for everybody. You're supposed to dress modestly if you're a woman. This girl comes in with a very tight-fitting, a very tight-fitting blouse and tight-fitting jeans. Well, you talk about lighting a fuse, these guys like this, like dogs. 
They act like animals. That's what you guys are looking at. And so I watch her go in there and I said, oh, you guys, okay, back to the board over here. After the class was over, I'm, I'm, I'm really bugged by this, okay? Uh, number one, because you guys are distracted. Number two, because the woman caused a distraction because she's dressed like a harlot. After that class was over, my class over, I'm waiting for her to come back out with her friend. The class is dismissed. I'm standing up and waiting for her. I say, excuse me. I don't know if I should have done this. I say, excuse me. Can I say something to you? She's like, what? I said, it wasn't right for you to cause a disturbance in my class. She said, what? What are you talking about? I said, you walked by and they started Googling, Googling at you. I said, she said, what for? I said, because the way you're dressed. You know what I got out of that? I got a call from the, the big boss of the, of the volunteers of the prison, second in command. I saw the phone and I didn't answer it. You know what it was about? She complained about me complaining about her. Well, she was in the wrong, I was in the right. So I got a call from the big boss and he went to ask me about it and you know, say, oh, you know, you should. I didn't answer the phone, but that was, that was about that. And so I had to say something to her because I cannot believe the ignorance of this woman who's teaching that subject matter and she's dressed in a way to provoke the guy. It doesn't make any... Is she that stupid? No. No. And so I just say that to say women sometimes are the cause of men lusting after them. Am I telling you the truth? Oh, okay. Thank you, Joan. <laughs> the cause for adultery, men lost in heart after a woman. Now, in the 60s, 1960s, there were two things preachers preached about. If they were Baptist or Bible uh, preachers, they preached about two subjects in the 60s. Guess what they were? They preached against rock music, Beatles, British Invasion, all that kind of stuff that went on in the 60s, right? And they preached against women in miniskirts. Those two subjects were hot issues in the 60s because it's getting very prominent and young people are getting into that thing and they were, and then in the churches women began to wear churches wear miniskirts in churches if the choir did not have a choir robe they were coming in with shorter and shorter skirts in church so the world was coming into the church and men were watching women sing in the choir and perhaps they weren't also watching women sing in the choir they were just maybe watching the women in the choir do you understand what what's going on here a very subtle change is happening and so some men to their credit were preaching against things that were encroaching upon the church and that's what was going on and uh, they had enough sense to know that if these things are not addressed and if it was not confronted it would just escalate or snowball even quicker and which it did and so the norm for the world system is to degenerate what is right morally uh, anything that is sacred Marriage, the world will try to degenerate that in many, many ways. Fashions, styles, what is hot, what is current, uh, people go for that. And it'll cause, it'll cause people, men especially, to lust after women in his heart, which sometimes will come to uh, fruition of adultery. So the women sometimes is guilty. Look at verse number 11. 7-Eleven, she's loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Verse 13, so she caught him and kissed him with an impudent, impudent face, 
sin unto him. This woman is aggressive. This woman is the aggressor. She is a predator. She has no morality. She has no respect for anything. No respect for marriage vows. No decency about her. She is arrogant. An impudent face. She has no morality about her. Now, look at verses 14 through 21. It's a long passage, but let's go ahead and take time. And maybe I'll just summarize, but in verses 11 to 21, 14 through 21, she, she's immoral in her apparel. She's arrogant. And then she appeals to pleasure to entice the guy. She appeals to pleasure. Look at verses 14 through 21. She caught him and kissed him. Huh. But the impudent face said unto him, a very confident face, a very cocky face, a very I'm in control face. Verse 14, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee. That's a lie. Diligently to seek thy face. That's a lie. And I have found thee. Makes the boy feel good. Like he is wanted, he's loved. You know what's really strange and a phenomenon is people who don't feel love look for love. People who don't feel accepted look for acceptance. People don't feel like they're anybody. Um, they look for validation that they are somebody. It's funny how that all works out psychologically. People who are not listened to by their parents' kids, they go find attention, they get attention from somebody, other authority figures. That's a dangerous thing. I have verse 16. She continues to appeal to pleasure to the young guy. I have decked my bed with covering, uh, coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love unto the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Now, she is appealing to pleasure. And the young man, his eyes are big as saucers. He's sweating profusely like he's had some jalapeno peppers. He is just, he's getting his engine, his motor's turned on, what it is. Now, any young man who's got normal blood in him will be excited by this. But wait, it's not just the young guys, it's the young man who is married, it's the old man who's married. He's getting excited by all this talk. He's enticed. He is encouraged to go against what he knows is right. He's beginning to lose his inhibitions, what's happening over here. He knows what's wrong, but he's so overcome by the reasoning of all this. His fears, his fears are going to be a league. He is going to be feeling like it's safe. But right now, the appeal to pleasure is so powerful. Now look at verse 19. She now is going to convince him it's safe. For the good man is not home. He has gone a long journey. He's not just gone down 7-Eleven, young man. He's out of town. Verse 20. He had taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. Okay. It's safe. It's okay. No one's going to barge in on us. My husband's gone. I mean, he's gone to Minneapolis and we're in L.A. He won't be back for a couple of weeks. Yeah, he usually calls before he comes home. I'm expecting him to call me for a couple of weeks. It's all right. So the appeal to pleasure and now the appeal of safety is very strong. He sees in his head, he understands with his mind, 
it's okay to do this because I won't get killed. That's what he feels, feels. He believes that because of what she says. Look at verse 21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Now, uh, he doesn't know what God knows. So because he is so emotionally charged and so lustful in his heart for her, he's just, he's just lost control. Sometimes people who do wrong, we scold them and say, you know better than that. This boy knows better than that. A man who commits adultery knows better than that. But he's just overcome by what he sees and what he hears, and he just doesn't think straight. And that can happen to everybody, potentially. Now, what happens, there's a consequence, I'll get to that in just a second, but you see here the cause, the cause for uh, adultery, the woman is at fault a lot of times, okay? So, what does this all mean? Well, we can't control the culture. We can't control a lot of things in this world. What can you control? What can a woman control? What can a man control? Well, a man can control a lot of things. He can control where he goes. He's at the wrong place in this chapter. A man can be at the wrong place, and that could be a point of temptation for him. Uh, there are some activities, some parties he should not go to. There are some things he should not see. He should be in control of that. There are some things no is a good thing to say. She can control a lot of things. She can control. Uh, she can control how she dresses. Now this kind of this kind of touchy right over here. This kind of personal. This kind of ooh over here, because most of here are not guilty of this. In fact, I don't think any of you are guilty of this. Thank God. Thank God you're not guilty of immodest dressing. But there's a lot of people in churches that are immodest in how they dress. They're up on the platform singing. They're doing something in the church, and they're immodest in their appear, appearance. Uh, they can do something about that. Something ought to be done about that. In this world, people, women are dressed immodest all the time, and it's so common now, you're not even faced by it almost. The way people walk around in public, it's like, oh boy. The way commercials are portrayed, oh boy. Uh, any, anything, anything in society, in culture, it's almost like, oh boy. Well, all of these things contribute to a man lusting after a woman, all right? Now, whether you agree or not, that is true. So we've got to be smart about things and be, be respectful and be godly about things and not just in a way to provoke a man to act like a dog, okay? Okay, thank you. That was good. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Consequences. Consequences. Uh, oh, by the way, I need to tell you this. When David saw Bathsheba, she was totally uh, very inappropriate, to say the least. And it's how can you how can you let your son uh, go to a place where you see women in the name of going to the beach dressed like they do and not dressed the way they do? It's pretty much like uh, okay, uh, that should not be out in public. Now, no matter what the culture is, no matter what the place is, it be a resort area, anything like that, it causes men to look and stare, and not a good thing. 
I don't know how you can go to the beach normally nowadays and uh, find any kind of modesty on the beach. So if you want to have a family outing, don't go to Waikiki. Don't go to a lot of beaches around here or don't go to the place where they have uh, in the name of going to the beach and getting some sunshine where people don't even have any clothes on. It is not a good thing for a guy to see. Now, does a man have to? Not always. He doesn't have to. But the fact that it is out there means that, to me, women contribute to adultery and fornication. It plants thoughts in the man's head. All right, there's consequences, aren't there, for adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. There's consequences for adultery. Uh, though the guilty now are not stoned, like it says in the, in the book of Leviticus, stoned to death, still today there is a, a stigma to adultery. There's still some, oh, oh, to adultery. Uh, what are the consequences for adultery? Well, obviously, it destroys trust in a marriage. Now, that's hard to overcome. Their marriage is, uh, is supposed to be a sacred union between a man and a woman, and yet uh, to death does part in all the, the good virtuous, the good wholesome, the good, the right, the holy, the spiritual commitment to one another. When trust is broken, it's really hard to restore that. That's destroyed in other cases. Destroyed trust. Then you have uh, divorce. Divorce can happen because of adultery. Now, a person doesn't have to divorce his husband and wife just because, I don't say just because, like it's trivial, but because of one act of adultery, but because the trust is broken and because there's a potential to commit it happening again, this, it's such a hurtful, it's such a destructive thing for a woman or for the guy, uh, divorce can happen. Destruction of a home can happen. That's horrible. Who would like to destroy the home? Break it up. Well, you know who that would be. The world corrupts with the devil. There's also disillusionment. This probably to me is the most hurtful thing when there's adultery in a home. In a Christian home especially, there's disillusionment in the children. That's to me one of the most hurtful things that can happen. What? Mom? Dad? That can't be. That can't be. Dad is a deacon. Dad is a youth pastor. That is the pastor. That's not possible. Can you imagine the disillusionment in a child's mind? How confused the child becomes and how they took us to church since I could even read. They took us to church. We've been in church since I was yay high. I can't believe this is happening. And mom, I can't believe this. This is not possible. This is a mistake. This is rumor. This is gossip. This cannot be true. What's even more hurtful and more destructive, more disillusionment for the eyes in the eyes of a child is if it's um, uh, someone who is, quote, in the church. You remember Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote in 1850 a novel called The Scarlet Letter? You ever read that? Red letter on your dress because you were to wear that in public to identify yourself as an adulterer, adulteress? It was a shameful thing. She was marked for to the end of her life. Now, there's other dynamics in the novel that's not necessary to say, but the fact that she was made public, that she was an adulteress, made it public that she, they were shamed. Of course, it's puritanical, and not everything about them we would practice today because pretty, pretty, pretty harsh and pretty much, you know, beat them and all that. It was to deter. It was to mark them so others may fear too. So I think I understand the principle behind why they were doing that. But nowadays, we don't do that. And 
I don't know, maybe uh, people don't feel the shame or the stigma or uh, they don't feel that as much now because it's so common. But uh, the scarlet letter, now, there's a, a consequence to adultery. There always will be. Uh, people today, though, try to mask the consequences or mask the hardships of adultery by uh, perfuming it. Um, I know this. You can get air freshener and spray it in the room of hogs, but it will not take with a stench. It will just mask it for a little while. And people can call it an affair, uh, a little, you know, incident happened like that. But it's not so little, it's not so small. Even though we spray it and try to perfume it, and try to mask it. It's still evil in the sight of God, and it still is destructive. It still has bad consequences. And so, uh, oh, oh, by the way, that woman who committed the adultery in that novel, The Scarlet Letter, guess who it was? Her husband was away. When he came back, he found out, and she didn't want to say who it was. You know who it was that she committed adultery with? You're not going to believe this. You have to read the novel. You know who it was? He was the minister. He was the minister. So he bore the shame of that as well. And she loved him and he loved her. And that's why she wouldn't disclose who it was, but it came out. So adultery is very destructive. It destroys homes, it destroys marriages, it destroys churches. It brings shame and reproach to the name of Christ. It gives the people who hate God an occasion to give them a black eye. Yeah, what kind of God are you to have these guys in the pulpit when they come along? Well, it's totally unfair and unjust, but that's what happens. And so nowadays, uh, adultery is a badge of sophistication. It's almost an expected behavior among politicians. You qualify for an office if you commit adultery. You are cool. You're sophisticated. You are, yeah, a man of the world, things like that. And so, no matter what people say about it, if you, you, you cannot mask it as much as you, as you want to, it's still foul in the nostrils of God. And so, the consequences will always be, be harsh. We can say it's not. We can say, well, it just happened. But it is terrible in its consequences. Even Christians think that adultery is not so serious. Now, there are certain parts of the music industry that kind of leans toward adultery. Because when you're a celebrity, you're an artist, you're idolized by the fans. And that kind of leads to an open door to all kinds of monkey business. Uh, there's a well-known, quote, Christian Southern gospel singer, well-known, I mean, he's so well-known. But uh, he became popular, he rose to the top of the charts, and every time he sang, he acted like he was special. You know, some people, when they, when they carry themselves, they act like they're special. You know, they're, they're wooing, wooing the mic like they're kissing a girl. Oh, Jesus. Oh. People fantasize in the audience. The girl's just, oh, I wish she was talking to me. Is he talking to me? He's, he looked my way. He's talking to me. Oh. It's kind of disgusting. And this guy who became a celebrity who had, who, who knew better, committed adultery with this other Christian singer. What? Another Christian singer committed adultery. Here's what he said about that. He said this. What did he say? He said, uh, I'll tell you what he said. 
I wrote it down here. I'll find it. But the gist is, he was meant to be. I had to find something to satisfy my heart. I'll get to it in just a second. But uh, he let his guard down, but he didn't know better. And uh, he did, he did fall to the temptation of becoming famous. And the silly little women, silly little Christian wife, believed that her husband was not adequate for her. Her husband could not fulfill her desires. Her husband was inferior to this star. He was not a star. And so it just, this was meant to be. If I wasn't at this concert, if I wasn't here, we wasn't actually, weren't singing in the same uh, lineup and like that, we would not have met, this must have been God's will. See, a lot of stupidity like that. Stupidity like that. Absolutely crazy thinking. Consequences. And uh, a lot of people were hurt because of that. They ruined their testimonies. But he's still singing. She's still singing. They're still celebrities. Still sing with the Gaithers. Still because he's got a voice. Incredible. Incredible. Well, uh, those are some of the consequences for for adultery. In the military, there's a consequence for adultery in the military. Generals, high-ranking officers, have been uh, stripped of rank because of fraternization with uh, their peers and with others that they have uh, authority over. Uh, there is a demotion. There is a shame that comes with it, and uh, it happens. There's consequence to it. Now there is also there is also uh, a cure for it. There's a cure for adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery, but there's a cure for it. Are you not glad that God gives a reason how we can escape it, prevent it from happening, and not be involved with things? Well, here's the cure. Uh, David, David, as we know in Second Samuel 11 was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he fell to the temptation of what he saw. Uh, so the cure is avoid places, avoid things that will cause a man to be tempted. Uh, 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 places where a woman would not be prone to be tempted by uh, this thought that comes into her mind. And so relaxing, Dave was relaxing, he was at leisure, that was not wrong, but he opened the door to temptation because he let his spiritual guards down. Now. Matthew 5 tells us again, in his heart, he committed adultery, in his heart. So the key then is the heart, protecting the heart, keeping the heart pure, keeping his heart pure, looking, looking in his heart. So he looked and in his heart, the man looks and in his heart, he thinks certain things. He looks, he sees, he thinks certain things. So then you have to guard what you see so that you don't have thoughts grow up and fester in your heart. It's pretty basic, but that's how it's supposed to work for you to be cured from or protected from adultery or the thought of adultery. Uh, now, again, when it comes to a man seeing something, a woman, uh, a question I have is, is it wrong for a woman to be attractive? Is it wrong for a woman to be considered beautiful? Well, let's think, who made the woman beautiful? Well, makeup probably helped, and makeup helps a lot for a lot of women. <laughs> but uh, hairstyle, okay, sometimes, they, you know, combing your hair is a good thing. Looking like the sea hag every day is not a good thing even for your husband. You know you're supposed to look beautiful for your husband. You know that. 
nor sorry. A woman appreciates something uh, well maintained. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> a woman who says, I'm supposed to be loved for my inner woman, my inner beauty. That is absolutely true. That's absolutely true. But a man is a man still, and he is attracted by what he sees. And he should look at his wife with attraction. He should look at his wife and say, that's my wife. Oh, she's pretty cute. She's pretty, pretty nice looking. She's beautiful. Fine. Uh, she likes that. Okay, that's healthy stuff between a man and a woman. A man should never say about a woman, oh, she's beautiful in that way. But my question was this. Is it wrong to be beautiful? Is wrong to be attractive? Wrong to be attractive? Should a man look at a woman and say, oh, she's not beautiful when she really is? Should he say, your wife says, were you looking at her? No, but you were. You think she's beautiful? What are you going to say to your wife? You think she's beautiful? What are you going to say to your wife? You got to say something to your wife. You can't say, I wasn't looking at her. I was looking at the, the man over there. What are you looking at the man? <laughs> What are you going to say to your wife? You got to say something to her. Look, God made a woman to be attractive so that she can attract a man for the potential purpose of getting married and having children. Sure. So that being said, that being a given, it's in the DNA of a man and of a woman, but you don't have to lust after a woman. You don't have to lust after her beauty. Lust not after her beauty. But you can recognize it. Uh, this beautiful young woman. No, Trump overuses the word beautiful. He overuses it. Beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, beautiful, that's beautiful. Carlton overuses the word beautiful. If you ever go out somewhere with Carlton, he says to the waitress, you are beautiful. <laughs> out loud. <laughs> the, the, the host, the hostess comes up. It's your turn. Thank you, you're beautiful. Now I could never say it to anybody else. You're beautiful. I even said it to my wife, but I should. Uh-oh. <laughs> People take it wrong for one thing. He can consider, consider not harassment, but he doesn't care because he's old. He says, I don't care. I just tell him what I think. He says, I can get a higher position at the Hilton, but he says, I want to stay in low position because I can say what I want to say to people, and he does. He calls people stupid. He calls them idiots. He says, not my fault. Well, you didn't pay parking, so you got to pay this. How much do I owe? $300? Not my fault, I stopped my car. That's how he talks to people. I like Carlton. <laughs> but he says to women, beautiful, you're beautiful. Thank you, you're beautiful. Now, they all laugh and blush, you know, and they like it, you know, they feel good about that. I'm thinking, oh man, Carlton, you've thrown it down here. You're beautiful. Well, God made us to men to be attracted to beauty, and that's not a wrong thing. You just gotta watch it so you don't cross over that bridge of lust. You gotta be careful about that. So, the cure for adultery, what you look at, what's in your heart. Psalm 1914, look at that verse with me, Psalm 1914. If we're gonna stop ourselves from lusting after women, it has to stop right here in the heart. Psalm 1914. You can have all the preventive measures in place, all the fences, all the guide, uh, all, the, all the protection, all the avoidance of things, but if your heart is bent on doing something, you just might do it anyway, no matter what. I mean, Puritans committed adultery. No matter how strict they were and punished people as an example, they still committed adultery. It's gotta be something deeper than just putting up a guide or blocking off a website or blocking this block. It's gotta be more than that. 
And Psalm 19, 14 tells us, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my, my strength. So the answer, I think, is in verse number 14. The meditation of your heart. A man has to be careful to keep his heart pure. A man has to be careful not to be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. 1 Timothy 5, 22. A man has to do that. If he doesn't do anything else, he has to do that. He has to keep his heart right with God by keeping his mind on the word of God and knowing principle and precept and statement of truth. And he must comply with that. He must be a man and not be stupid like a young person, like a teenager, and just run off because he feels like it. He has to rein in his passions and his emotions. He cannot act out on everything he feels. You know, there are some people who are who were uh, uh, perverted. They were homosexuals before they got married to a woman, and they got straightened out by God. But even after they're married, have kids, been married 10, 15 years, they still have an attraction to men, which is unbelievable to me. And what they always testify is this. When they meet eye to eye with another man, as before, they quickly turn, they quickly stop and think about something else. Now, a man's got to do that. He's got to not let that bird that flies over his head park and build a nest in his head or on his head. He can do that. He cannot avoid always a temptation or avoid a situation but he can prevent himself from going down that road. And that's what he's talking about. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. So, if the Lord is with you when you're tempted, what would you do? If he was physically with you, if you think about it like this, what would you do? I know what you and I would do if he was physically next to us. But when he's not physically next to us, you still have to keep your heart thinking like that. Otherwise, a person can have a man can have lustful thoughts in his heart. So a man has to keep his heart clean and push back and push back and fight against wicked thoughts. Don't let it get started. Don't plant those seeds there. And so Jesus said, adultery begins in the heart, and uh, the law condemns the act of adultery. And Jesus said, the bar is higher. Don't think it in your heart. Both are not the same, but one leads to the other. So stop it here so it doesn't happen there. Uh, happens to everybody if you're not careful. You think about punching someone, you don't have to punch him. You didn't do it, but you thought about it. You think about it enough, you're going to do it. You're going to hit him. Murder. Murder happens because people have a long process of thinking about doing it to get even. And then they actually commit it. The physical act of committing murder and then they get caught and they end up prison for the rest of their life or they get executed for that. It began right here, thinking about it right over here. So the safeguard is to guard your heart. And then, like Joseph in the Old Testament, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, that wicked, wicked woman, Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, Genesis 39 tells us, let's see what it says. And then we'll have to end over here. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph was not married. She was married. She was an adulteress. But here's how he overcame the temptation by this woman who personally was the aggressor. 
Genesis 39, you know the story about how he got to this place. And in verse number five, it came to pass from the time that he had made his made him overseer, Potiphar did make Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had. That's quite an authority that he had. That's quite a, a, a leap of trust that he gained for a prisoner. Can you imagine someone guilty of embezzlement? You put him in charge of your books or give him the keys to the safe or to the vault in your business. Can you imagine that? Came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Verse 6. And he left all that he had to Joseph's hand. Wow! That is trust. And he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. I trust him except for the drink and the food that I consume. <laughs> they always had enemies back then, you know. You don't trust anybody except the ones who were the tasters for you. But everything else, Joseph had the keys for every place. Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Verse 7. He came to pass after these things that his master's wife, uh-oh, cast her eyes upon Joseph. This is reverse lust. <laughs> this is strange. Women fall in love with what they hear. Men fall in love with what they see. And she said, lie with me. Well, isn't she kind of bold here? Like Proverbs chapter 7. Boy, she is really much... Uh, uh, what's that lizard? <coughs> Komodo dragon. Savage. Eight. But, she, but he refused. How did he refuse? Why did he refuse is the question. But he refused... And said unto his master's wife. Now he would tell you why he refused the temptation of committing sin with this wicked woman. Behold, number one, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath in my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Now, the reason number one why he did not commit sin with her was because he could not betray the trust given to him by Potiphar. He could not do that. He had honor. He had character. He had integrity. He could not betray the trust given to him. The position that he had, he could not betray the one who gave him the position. This man's a good man. This is the kind of man you want in office, in politics. A man who says, no, my constituents voted me in because of these issues, and I'm going to stick by these things. I'm not going to give in to the pressure by you, you wicked liberals. There, I said it. Because thou art his wife. The second reason why he did not commit sin, adultery, with her is, how then can I do this great wickedness? Number two, he saw what she wanted to do with him as sin. He did not say this is just one of those things that happened. He did not spray over it. He didn't mask the, the stench of a dead frog. <laughs> he called it for what it was. Number three, and sin against God. The third reason why he did not commit sin with this woman is because he knew that this was a transgression against a holy God and he could not do that. He also was saying, God is going to see this. I can't let God see this. I can't do that. So he had reasons to uh, say no, and these are the reasons why we can say no to as men or as women uh, about adultery in this particular case because of these reasons. Who are you? You are a Christian. What are you supposed to be doing? Living up to the name Christian. 
People throw around this word Christian all the time. I'm a Christian. I'm this. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian rap artist. I'm a Christian tattoo artist. I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm a Christian this. You see? I'm a Christian. Everybody's a Christian. It's almost like cool to be a Christian druggie. It's almost cool. But it's not cool because being a Christian means you are obligated to live for the God who saved you. You say you're a Christian. Christian business, you better be ethical. You better give the right change. You better not overcharge people. You're a Christian business. You're a Christian neighbor. You have an obligation to be upright, honest, nice, the whole thing. But people don't take it seriously anymore. He did. And a man, if he takes his quote Christianity seriously, he would guard his heart and he would live up to the name Christian. He would not see adultery as trivial. Just because the whole world seems to be doing it, getting away with it, laughing about it, doesn't mean he can and he should. He sees it differently. He sees it for what it is, sin. Now, you and I would never think about going into McDonald's. <laughs> you heard about the guy who tried to rob a fast food place, Jackson the Box went up and thrown an alligator into the drive-thru window. You ever hear about that one? It actually happened. A lot of things about that strange. Where did he get the alligator? How did he keep it under wraps in the back seat? How did he throw it through there? And what was he expected to get out of that? <laughs> Crazy people. We would never think of robbing fast food because we're low on cash. We would say, you would never come into this place, uh, in, into church, high. You stay high privately. <laughs> you would not do that because of the shame. You're not coming, if you're so mad you're cussing out everybody, you're not coming to church and cuss, you'd stop because of the, of the shame you'd bring to yourself and your testimony, you'd not, you're unprotected. All those factors all play into, we're not going to commit adultery, we're not going to come into our minds and our hearts because of who I am in Christ and uh, that it is a sin and that I can't let God see this take place. So that's how you cure adultery, not let it happen. And again, I'll refer to 1 Timothy 5.22. Lay hands suddenly on no man. That's about ordaining someone. But it also says this. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. That can apply. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because you're idle in sports or in entertainment doesn't, doesn't mean, and he's so great still, doesn't mean you can do that too. Because you are a Christian. You've got to guard your heart to the point. And honor the one who bestowed you as a Christian, saved as a Christian. And here's what Michael English said. Here it is. I found it. Michael English is his name. One of the Gaither band guys. Now, I'm not condemning anybody or the Gaither. The Gaither. I'm just saying he's in that group. In the aftermath, he said this quote. Maybe God allowed this to happen to make me see I needed some freedom. He's married to another Christian woman. Also a singer. Maybe God allowed this to happen to make me see I needed some freedom. Well, do you think he was in prison married to your wife? What are we talking about? What an idiot. What a sad, pathetic, wicked Christian singer. Maybe I needed some freedom. No, he didn't need some freedom. He needed to shape up. He needed to see that he was carnal, even though he's performing Christian music. That's what he needed to see. He needed to hit the altar, what he needed to do. You need to get right with God. That's what you need to do. Not needed freedom. Now, I don't know how his wife didn't know what's going on, but the fact that it did go on, the fact that it did happen is the point, and that he committed uh, a sin before God. He didn't honor who he was. 
He did not respect his vows to his wife. He did not honor the God who saved him if he is saved. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I hope to God that it never happens to anybody that I know. But if it does, there's something that has to be done. Something has to be done in regards to his church or her church. Something has to be done. It can't just be overlooked. It can't just, you can't pretend it didn't happen. That person loses privileges. That person loses a lot of things. She loses a lot of things. Nobody wants to shame anybody, but you just can't pretend it didn't happen. So uh, I know of a church, in a couple of churches where it was confronted. It's always, it's always sad. In one case, in one case, it's about five years old now. In one case, it was a pastor that counseled a married woman for nearly a year, and he got this silly notion in his brain that he could replace her husband because he was negligent of her. And he provided all kinds of, quote, support, words of affection, words of affirmation. Oh, no, you're really beautiful. Oh, no, you're really precious. Your husband doesn't pay attention to you when he comes home from work. What's wrong with him? Stuff like that. Now, I am not privy to that kind of conversation, but I'm just telling you, I know it's going to probably happen. He built her up so much, he became, he became the lover that she was longing for. This guy is 25 years older than she is. He's an ugly white guy. <laughs> really? Really? Only respect I have is that he's a, he's a veteran, a former Marine, okay? Respect that part of his life, but this thing went on, and the bad thing that also went on was that he never had the husband come in for counseling as well. She was being counseled by him while he's over here at home waiting to see what's going on. That's a bad situation. Bad, bad, bad. Bad, bad, bad. And pretty soon it was gifts, presents, stuff like that, phone calls. Where are you going? Well, I gotta go to the store. No, no, no. No, 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 I'm not going to the store. You're gonna meet somebody. Who are you gonna meet? You know what happened to that pastor? You got fired from that church. Got confronted by deacons and by people. It became known publicly in church. Very shameful, very hurtful, very sad, very tragic. Destroyed the church because of adultery consequences. The cure was already there. He knew better, but she was vulnerable. But he knew better. He bore the greater judgment because he knew better. But let it get to his imagination that he was handsome to her that he was adored by her, that he was complimented by her, that she looked up to him as a, more than a uh, father figure, but as someone who was almost like her peer. Very tragic what happened. He's no longer in this state. He's moved to another state where he can start all over again. What? There's consequences. I hope they checked with his previous church what happened. I hope they checked it so that this guy don't continue what he was doing. And I'll, I'll uh, give another illustration without getting too 
Gorey, a well-known son of a pastor in Indiana, pastored in Texas, Garland, Texas, and he had a real problem with his with his with his passions, and he uses authority in his position and his soul compassion to lure women into counseling and he committed adultery with them. Later on, they exposed him and later on he was exposed in every sense of the word and he brought a lot of shame. He lost that church and uh, a lot of bad things happened because of adultery. It's not something very, it's not something you play with or you say, ah, oh, it's just it's just adultery. Everybody's doing it. You can't. It's not like that at all. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The act of adultery and in your heart. Steps should be taken to protect the heart from thinking down that line so you don't cross that bridge. Temptation is not the sin. But the temptation, if it's coddled, if it's babied, if it's endured, if it's, if it is, um, uh, taken lightly will lead to justifying the actual commitment of adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Alright? Well, what a message to preach on the last November, Sunday of November. Boy. Okay. Um, so, pray for one another as you always should. Now, don't, though, I just warn you right now before I finish, I warn you this. Don't think that all pastors have a secret sin that they do because not all of them do. Don't think that all youth workers, all adult men who've been saved a long time, they're simply thinking they don't think that. Don't think that all women who dress uh, themselves and have pride in how they appear and they have, you know, they take care of themselves. Don't think that they are like Proverbs 7. Don't think that because that'd be wrong too to think that. And, and ladies, don't go overboard and dress wearing um, sackcloth, you know, and ashes and a uh, bag over your head just because you don't want to be looked at by women. Sometimes women are, are extreme to the to the conservative side of things. Not the wrong word to use, but you, you don't you don't uh, look presentable because you don't want to get attention. Sometimes that could be kind of uh, more prideful than anything else too. So you got to be careful about going both directions, all right? Um, I like it when my wife combs her hair. I like when she puts a little makeup on. Now, at home, no makeup. Not a problem with me, but I like to be proud of my wife. Not that I'm not. <laughs> but I like when she puts a little pink stuff over here because, you know, it makes you look less white. But <laughs> a little lipstick is good, you know, show that there's life there kind of thing. And that's not wrong, is what I'm saying. And it's not wrong for, um, uh, for, for her to be presentable. It's for me. And it's, it's honoring me that she thinks enough of me that she will be, quote, attractive or, um, what's the word I'm looking for again? Huh? Beautiful. Beautiful, presentable in public, okay? So that's not wrong. Just have sense and common sense and balance about the whole thing. But man, some of you women here, well, you're not here, but some of you women, some, some Christian women, they ought to change their wardrobe. They really should. Not change your wardrobe. When they work out at the gym, you gotta change your wardrobe. Or not work up at a gym. Oh, some people when they jog around town, are you stupid? I mean, really, are you stupid? I guess either you're stupid and you don't know anything about life, 
Well, you're very clever. You're very clever. You want the attention. You want the attention. Now, I'll stop here. I don't know why a woman wants attention when she has enough attention from her husband. Why would she want more attention from strange men? Well, last one. I was walking down, uh, driving down Leaky Leaky one time years ago, and there's a bridge over there. Leaky Leaky up the town. And a woman was walking this way. I'm driving this way. Now, watch this now. I'll end on a good positive note, okay? <laughs> I'm driving this way. She's walking this way. The light just turned, whatever. And she's walking this way. She's maybe one third up to the big intersection, Leaky Leaky and uh, Camp Highway. She's walking this way, and some, some guys, construction guys, walking this way. I don't know where they're walking. They're walking this way. And she, they crossed like this. You know what these guys did? They just kept on walking. They didn't even turn and look at her. You know why? She wasn't dressed like a prostitute. That's why. She's very modestly dressed. There's nothing about her that they want to see because she's pretty modest. Doesn't that tell you something about life and about people and about how things start? Man, when a guy looks like that, that woman is contributing to that man's thoughts. When the girl gets up to sing, she better be alert to the reality that there are red-blooded men in the congregation looking at her sing because she's, she's there to be seen, she's there to be heard, and hopefully she'll be modest so that people think about what they're hearing and they're letting the Lord speak to them about the lyrics and the music and all that and not think about other things. Amen. Lord, we pray that you help us to be wise and not foolish people and not ignore things in life. It's so good that we can prevent things from ever happening. When things stop in the heart, when there's repentance, confession, when there is this judging of ourselves that we won't be judged with the world. Lord, we learn from the mistakes of other people in the Bible and in our lives. We never want to repeat them. We never want to have the people that we know and care for. We never want to see people be shamed, humiliated. We never want to see a home broken up. We never want to see trust broken because of this sin. And Lord, we are sure all of it is preventable and avoidable with your help and with people being responsible to guard their hearts. You've given us the resources. You've given us the Bible. You've given us the Holy Spirit. We have your presence with us. We have a church that addresses things as they come. There's no need for us to be ignorant and be caught off guard. Help us, Father, to not think that we are above the temptation or above falling. We don't think that we are so strong that we will never fall. We cannot trust our flesh. So we're going to lean upon your grace and your strength to help us to not commit sins as other people may do. Lord, be with us, strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.